everybody, and welcome back to season two of Culprits, Crafts, and Crimes. Yes, it's true. We are back. It's been a very long, hot minute, but um, a lot's been in the works, so we're so thankful to finally be bringing this back for everyone who listens. Um, things have changed a little bit for this season, so if you're kind of curious as to why it's just me, um, feel free to go listen to the season two intro um, and you will kind of hear more on that. But um, for everybody else, let's um, get into the very first episode of season two. Um, for anyone new here, my name is Carly. I'll be your host for this show and I'm looking to um, pretty much just have guests on as regularly as possible, but, um, in light of the very first episode, it's just gonna be me, so you'll have to stick it out with <laughs> and, uh, enjoy, enjoy me talk for a little bit, but, um, I'll give you a insight into how it generally flows. We'll generally come with a new story for you, whether it be uh, some sort of crime, murder, you never know, um, missing persons, something of the sorts. And at the same time, um, I'll also be creating something, uh, craft related. So hence the name culprits, crafts and crimes. So, um, yeah, we'll see, see what goes on. Um, this week I'm actually starting a pumpkin carving slash painting project, uh, that's going to be for my work. Um, actually today so we'll see how this goes <laughs> see if I can uh, talk and create at the same time um, but for today I decided in light and spirit of the season um, we're gonna talk about the Candyman um, if you have not heard of this you probably have just not necessarily the name um, <laughs> but you've definitely probably heard of uh, someone who ended up poisoning their child on October 31st in 1974. Um, so let's just dive right into this. It was, yeah, like I said, October for 31st, uh, 1974. Of course, it had to be a rainy Halloween night, like all true crime begins. Um, and the children of Deer Park, Texas were out uh, knocking on doors, trick-or-treating, and Ronald Clark O'Brien, an optician, was out with his kids, uh, two of his children, one eight-year-old Timothy and five-year-old Elizabeth, and they were out trick-or-treating in their neighborhood, just, you know, right near their house, and uh, they were joining in with their neighbors, uh, Jim Bates and his son, and one of the houses that the group approached had its, all its lights off. And the kids, of course, still went up to the door, anxiously awaiting some candy. Um, they couldn't resist, you know, making sure they tried every single house. <laughs> um, and of course, no one was answering. And so, you know what, growing impatient, the kids just, you know what, forget it. <laughs> Next house, let's just keep going. And uh, Jim followed, but Ronald, the father of the two kids, uh, was left alone. Catching up with them a short while later, he came back with great news. He uh, gave all of the kids with his goal group a handful of 21-inch pixie sticks. 
those uh, tubes of powdered, powdered uh, sour candy and uh, said, turns out someone, you know, had been at that dark house. So uh, look what I brought you. And uh, he handed out those treats to all of the kids, you know, one of each of them and one for like Jim's other son and then a couple others from like a church group that they had recognized. So he kind of, you know, handed out a couple to a bunch of kids nearby or whatever. And then, you know, comes to night, all the kids and families are going back home for the night, uh, starting to look through all their candy and whatnot. <laughs> and uh, before bed, Timothy O'Brien, so Ronald's uh, son, was allowed to have one treat from that evening's haul. And so, you know what, he was digging through his stuff and he's like, oh, you know what? Let's try this uh, pixie stick. Not thinking much of it, um, goes to try to open it and the powdered sugar is all stuck. So he's like, I can't, I can't eat this. And he asks his dad for help and then decides, you know what, I'll figure this out. So he kind of opens it, kind of gets it all dislodged and gives it to his son. And then he starts, you know, eating it like any normal kid would. But he recognizes that something tastes bitter. It seems weird. But you know what? I'm just gonna eat it anyways. And uh, Ronald was like, you know what? I'm, I'll help you. You know, trying to be the good dad that he supposedly is. Grabs his son a glass of Kool-Aid to wash down the taste. Thus, when an hour later, Timothy died. It was just a coincidence that I was working the night. The former Harris County prosecutor Mike Hinton says. Decades later on the phone from Houston, I got a call uh, from the police department telling me, you know, this eight-year-old boy just died. He was rushed to the hospital, but he didn't make it. And this, you know, investigator is really curious into the situation. He wants to get involved in the investigation. So he tells the medical examiner, hey, you know, this is a situation I have. And he asks what, and the um, examiner goes, what did uh, the kid's uh, breath smell like? A uh, call to the morgue revealed that there was a scent of almonds coming from the boy's mouth. And if you are true Trime junkies, you know it's cyanide. <laughs> um, so he goes and tells him, hey, that kid um, must have overdosed or something on uh, cyanide. And the autopsy proved this medical examiner's hunch was true. Timothy had consumed enough cyanide to kill two people. Tests later found that the top two inches of the pixie stick had been packed with this poison. Police, you know, tried to recover the remaining sweets from the other children before any of them had actually had a chance to eat it and actually figured out they were able to do that. They had realized that um, there was staples to seal the stick, pixie sticks after they'd been tampered with. And that's what had ended up saving another boy's life that night. Uh, the investigator told us in an article that they had found him in bed with the sweet in his hand, but he wasn't strong enough to undo the staples. The police uh, was able to retrace these steps of these children who had, you know, taken this candy and was able to recover and protect all these children. So thankfully no one else was harmed or killed in this act um but as the investigation began the police decided you know what let's grab ronald the father of this poor son and uh, take us back to the neighborhood and the house that they had been trick-or-treating to 
to see, you know, who, who they got this mysterious candy from. So they take Ronald and he's, you know, looking through the neighborhood, looking at these houses and he's like, man, I just, I don't know. I, I never saw the pape, the person, uh, they just, you know, emerged from the doorway and handed me candy. Uh, <laughs> and that was very mysterious and suspicious to these investigators. So they, uh, let it go by a couple days and of course frustrated, but they took O'Brien out again and were very firm and they're like, you need to tell us where this came from because don't you want to know, you know, who, who had killed your son? And this tactic worked and Ronald's memory was jogged and he pointed to this house. The man who lived there wasn't home so the officers went to his work and uh, come to find out that their neighbor was actually working at the uh, Houston airport. So they go to the airport and arrest him in front of all of his, you know, co-workers and they were like, perfect, mystery over, case closed, we've caught him. Only, the man had an alibi. It turned out that he was actually working that night and his wife and daughter were home and had turned out the lights early and because they had run out of candy. The um, colleagues and everyone, you know, confirmed the story and was like, yep, he was here. And so they kind of start recanting and relooking at O'Brien's story. And the investigator Hinton, he goes, I've also heard O'Brien was angry at his relatives for not staying up the night of, you know, Timothy's uh, funeral, which was odd. Ronald, as it came to be, had written a song about Jesus and Timothy joining the Lord in heaven and had grown agitated when, you know, his poor grieving family wouldn't stay up to watch this recording of this performance being broadcasted on TV. And, I mean, understandably, if you're a parent, I guess you could see, you know, be upset. But it was just kind of odd, uh, the whole situation. So, soon after, while he was teaching a class at a police academy, the detective arrives and discovers that Ronald had taken out life insurance policies on both of his children, 10000 per child in January of that year, and then a further 20000 each month before this Halloween night. Investigators were definitely curious about that. They knew that Ronald had owed debts of over $100,000, so when they found out that he'd called his insurers to ask about, you know, this money that morning of Timothy's death, they were like, okay, this is starting to come together. Uh, granted a warrant, the search of O'Brien's house offered up a pair of scissors with plastic residue attached, so probably, you know, the pixie stick, and it was really similar to, you know, the, the sweets that poor Timothy had taken. Um, O'Brien was arrested and taken in for questioning immediately. As investigation continued, the evidence started to stack up against Ronald. Investigators were surely convinced that, okay, he had done it. It turned out O'Brien was going to community college and in class would actually ask his professors questions like, what's more lethal, cyanide or another type of poison? Or, you know, random questions regarding poison and, you know, what, how much is a certain dose? What could kill you? Why would someone ask that? <laughs> like, if I was in a class and one of my 
you know, fellow students starts asking, like, very specific questions, I would for sure be like, um, why do you need to know that? <laughs> My brain would instantly go, okay, you're planning something. Um, but another witness who works for the chemical company in, in Houston had told police that, you know, a man did come in to try to buy cyanide but left because he all he could order was five pounds. Five pounds? That could kill, I feel like, hundreds of people. <laughs> so to think that he only wanted, he couldn't get more than five pounds says something. <laughs> the man uh, from the store said he couldn't identify O'Brien, but remembered that, you know, this customer was wearing some sort of beige or blue smock, kind of looking like a doctor or a nurse um, uniform. And remember from the beginning, O'Brien was actually an optician, so this is really similar to the type of uniform that he would wear while at work. And mind you, this is still all way before DNA testing and you know, contactless debit cards and police were not really able to put this whole pixie stick situation against Ronald or prove that he had any cyanide. So unfortunately, this man was still left innocent. Um, investigators kind of shared this story where it was, you know, saying O'Brien adored the attention and I think he loved it during his trial. So. They were really sure that they probably had the right person and his actions were just matching this. Even though Ronald entered a not plea or a not guilty plea, you know, blaming the tainted candy on some sort of boogeyman untraceable within the night. <laughs> um, a sick individual using the cover of a Halloween to poison unsuspecting children. But during the trial, all of his friends, family, co-workers, all testified against the man the press was now calling the Candyman. And thankfully, on June 3rd of 1975, it took just 46 minutes for a jury to return a guilty verdict for one charge of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. An hour later, it was decided that Ronald would be executed by electric chair. Okay, isn't that crazy? I mean, what is his motive behind trying to kill his children? And potentially hundreds because of him wanting to buy a ton of pounds of cyanide. But like, what? <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I looked around and couldn't find any like reason behind him doing this and like, if he has a wife involved in this situation or what, but that's insane. Uh, <laughs> how could you do that to your child? I just don't understand. Um, but thankfully, <laughs> before and since this whole Candyman situation, I mean, parents have been eerie of, you know, going out at night and trick-or-treating, so... It's no stranger for anyone to be um, suspecting anything crazy like, you know, glass or razor blades in uh, their kids' candy. Uh, thankfully, there isn't really much evidence and for parents to really worry about anything. 
Um, there's been very, very far and few incidences that things like this have actually happened, but um, I did want to kind of bring in another little mini story, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard of as well. But uh, in 2000, a man in Minneapolis was charged with putting needles in Snicker bars he had handed out to trick-or-treaters. Um, thankfully, there was only one person who got um, slightly pricked from the sharp object. That is going to be my story for today, this week, in this first episode. I uh, look forward to some guests coming up here pretty soon. Um, these next couple of episodes, I've got quite a few people lined up here, so it'll be some new new uh, voices. So let me know if you know if you like any of these people, and we'll see if we can try to get them back on again. Um, and also want to mention, I do have a Instagram and a Facebook page that you can join and follow. And I will be posting all the pictures of all the crafts that I'm making while on these episodes. And then also just information and uh, our Facebook page is kind of just a fun place to share funny memes and <laughs> talk about random true crime and uh, share random crazy TikToks and all that fun stuff. So um, yeah, definitely go check that out and stay tuned for more episodes to come. Also, if you or someone you know knows any crazy crime stories or something similar that you think would be great for this podcast, um, let me know. Direct message me or send me a message on Facebook and I will get back to you and we can see if maybe we can uh, share those stories here or have you guessed on one of our next episodes. Thank you so much for listening and uh, listening to me ramble. <laughs> but uh, as always, stay safe out there. Thank you.